0: Good morning. Good to see you. And uh, thanks again to those who decided to let me loose here. Um, I count it a privilege and a great responsibility. Um, if you are a visitor to the church, I better just say that I'm just a member of the church and uh, pleased to be here. I've been here about four and a half years and uh, enjoy being here. That's great. And also, if you're a visitor, we're going through the Acts of the Apostles, a good book to go through because it tells you what the early church was like and starts to make you feel a little bit inferior. Well, me anyway, not you because you're all perfect. But, um, and today we hit quite a character. Um, When I lived in Barry Simmons many years ago, I hadn't been in Christian work very long, and um, we had, uh, because I had a connection with Morelands Bible College, that's where I had started my journey at Bible colleges, and we had a placement, and we had a guy come to us uh, to actually come and look at the schools and youth work, although I was involved in adult work as well, but particularly came, and and I think he stayed about three or four weeks with us, and he's ended up becoming a friend. And he he came from the Bible college and and he came to our house, he stayed with us, he lived in our home. And one day Heidi, that's our daughter, she was about four years of age, she came up to us and she said, pointing at our friend, is that Jesus? (laughs) And the reason being, you've probably guessed, he had a beard. (laughs) And uh, you know many of the pictures we have in Sunday, or we did then, uh, were always giving Jesus a beard. I don't know whether he had one or not, I'm not here to debate that. But actually they thought he was Jesus. And actually as we've gone through life, and the funny thing is he ended up taking my daughter's wedding, he ended up leading our son's funeral, and he's done key things in our life, and he's remained a great friend. He happens though and has been for about, I think, nearly 30 years, the minister at Rislip Baptist Church, a church not dissimilar to this. And actually if you looked at his life, I'd only say that I've seen Jesus in Derek's life. I really have. And hopefully, although none of us are perfect, I joked, obviously, that we have seen Jesus in one another's life. But look at this guy we've read about today. And my first word is just this, angelic. Because they looked at this guy, even those who were criticised him, even those who had put him in front of the council, and what did he have? He had a face of an angel. Whoa. As you looked in the mirror this morning, you obviously said that, didn't you? You obviously whoa, look at that face, I'm so handsome. You know, I'm so, and the lady said, so glamorous. Um, but, you know, th- he just had that look. I mean, that's quite incredible, isn't it? I mean, how many Christians have you met, met that have had a, a look that actually, you thought they were actually angelic? But if you read, and uh, this passage, we only read the beginning and the end, is so long. Uh, so you'll just have to trust me, but I have got all of this out of the passage, okay? Um, but uh, if you do read, and I just refer to phrases Uh, From last week, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. This week we read, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they gazed upon him and his face was like the face of an angel. This guy, he was near perfection, wasn't he? He looked it, he said it, he did it. The whole lot he had the looks the lingo and the life to back up his word incredible guy we'd love him at breton wouldn't we some of us wouldn't because we'd feel so threatened and inferior but actually uh, some of us i better say me all right not you again i forget you're perfect but but you know i'm saying this guy was so you know we're not you know not actually See anything wrong about him. And isn't it interesting, we are actually looking at his life, well part of it, and the lead up to what happens to him, and the funny thing is, go to the Bible, you'll only find his name in Acts, and you'll only find it, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but you'll only find it ten times, depending on what translation you use. And yet, what an impact he's had. He's not even in the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. And yet, here we are. And we know who the first martyr was. That's next week, so I mustn't get into that. I've spoiled it if you didn't know. But here is a guy who had such an impact. And as a result, the accusations that came his way. We live in the era of of fake news. We're used to that. And here there were some fake charges brought against him. Brought by a a synagogue of people called Freedmen. And the places mentioned there, that's where they came from basically it means they spoke greek they had a greek background and the freeman bit is basically this and i'll probably come back to this if i stick to my notes that actually they they or their parents have been set free from being slaves physically they or their parents have been set free probably we can't prove it but probably they had been slaves or their parents had in rome here were these men with that name freedmen. And actually, they, we read that they tried to persuade people, that well, they t- persuaded men to accuse him of blasphemous preaching. We've heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Notice they didn't have the courage to do it themselves, so they had to get others to say it. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. They seized him. They set up lies, even in front of the council. This fellow never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Just like others, they, like in Jesus' case, they got others to actually verbalise their accusations. And notice how similar the accusations against him are to those that were made against Jesus. Total, They couldn't actually pull him up on anything. They'd come up with lies. So Stephen stands up and he starts to defend himself. Actually, if you read this, he doesn't. He does not defend himself. By going into certain aspects, in a sense, he counteracts what they think that he's saying about Moses and Abraham, but he doesn't actually say, no, I didn't say that, I just, and I'll prove it. He doesn't do that. Uh, and The interesting thing that what got him into trouble, we don't have a record of. The preaching that he got into trouble, by the way, this is last week, but, you know, he was voted in to be what we call a deacon today. Don't want to stir it up, but notice as a deacon he was preaching. And he's preaching and got him into trouble. But we don't, we don't have that. God, in his wisdom, hasn't given us that sermon, We don't need it. But we do know that the early churches, and we know this in our studies already, focused on, on the resurrected Jesus, and that would have got him into trouble. So you look at this group, and I've got to make some assumptions here. This is, I've I've said assumptions on our part, but on my part. Were this group, were they scared? Were they threatened? This new thing was growing. It had a life of its own. You always got to look at scripture and its context, what's around it. And the verse before where our reading started, this was in last week's, and what did we read? And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied applied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow! Well, even priests, in our language, were becoming Christians. I wouldn't be surprised if this group of freedmen actually felt very, very threatened. Their way of worship, what they felt about God, was being taken apart. Things were happening outside their control. They had no control over it whatsoever. And as individuals, did they feel inadequate, jealous and threatened? And I wasn't being facetious, I wasn't... But seriously, when you come across someone like this, how would we feel as a Christian? How would we feel? And these folk, I think they probably did feel inadequate. Had they done signs and wonders? Had they got the wisdom? They couldn't stand up to his debating because he had the wisdom, he could outfox them with his thinking and his words. Were they jealous? Did they feel threatened? And as I say, ironically, they were called freedmen. Physically, they were free, but spiritually, in my opinion, they weren't. It was Stephen who was reflecting the inner freedom. Incredible, isn't it? We've all come in here this morning, and that, that song that Steve just actually referred to, we're Christians, but do we reflect that inner freedom that we've just sung about? Trusting God, whatever's come our way. But one of the first things, I'm going to apply this very much at the end, I'm just going through it, but I thought I should pause here and just, just apply this. And again, I could be wrong. You've got to go away and and think this over. But I found it interesting that this attack followed great blessing and encouragement. That's why I read verse 7. There'd been great blessing, the church was growing, things were happening, and then bang, one of the leaders, they go and get him. They go and get Stephen. An attack came. Often, uh, if... uh, when I've been involved with baptisms and and when we've had baptisms here, um, I try and remember to pray for people who get baptised here, not just on the day, but the weeks that follow. I remember to speak to someone who actually has been baptised here and two weeks later, they had a heck of a life. they have been blessed. They'd stood up and said, Jesus is my Lord. And I've found often people who get baptised you know, because they're following Jesus, they're obeying Jesus. Actually, soon after, it may not be two weeks, it could be six months, it could be a year. Actually, there's something happening in their life that says, come on then, all right, you went and got baptised, chum. Hey, how are you handling this as a Christian? I just saw a doubt go through your mind about God. Oh, but you stood up and you got baptised. And I wouldn't mind, and I don't know the history of this church, but I wouldn't mind guaranteeing if we looked at the history of this church, the one in Torquay has just had a history written about it. Now I wouldn't mind guaranteeing you would go through where there were times of blessing and maybe you could find later there was something went wrong. There was an attack. Didn't call it that. Might have just been a fallout amongst deacons, elders, whatever. In the worship, you name it, the children's work, doesn't matter which work I name, there was something that happened that suddenly shook the church. Maybe a sudden death. Maybe somebody got ill. Maybe the pastor. And you think, what's going on? We've just had all this blessing. In my own life, when I lived in Barry Stebbins, I remember there was, we had a weekend at Sizel hall with young people and we were getting young people coming from the school's work that I was doing, they weren't church, some from the youth club that I was leading as well and we saw people become Christians. I remember one coming up to me and I prayed with her and I actually had the privilege in the language, in the lingo of leading her to the Lord. And the next fortnight when we got home, and I'm going to honestly say it had nothing to do with, with Mary and myself other than we'd organised the weekend and done our bits and pieces and I was going into school and all that stuff. But actually we kept getting phone calls, and I'm not making this up, every day that actually someone had become a Christian. Because those who become Christians were going to tell their friends and they were leading them to the Lord at school. And it got discussed amongst the staff. But a few weeks later, the mother of the girl I'd led to the Lord went into the school to complain about me. I won't give you all the ins and outs, but everyone in the school believed me and trusted me, etc. The head teacher and all that. And the lovely end of the story is that lady, a few years later, became a Christian. And I'm not making that up. That's true. That's true. In Ipswich, I was the first work on a project there, and the team started to grow, and we got up to four people, and suddenly we started to get some flack from a church minister. The trouble was he, he served on Sacre, That's the, the, the body that oversees the religious education in then East Suffolk. And uh, it was interesting. He could have actually stitched us up regarding the schools. But the chairman and myself went to see him and we got on with him very well. And I have to say, no problems came. In Torbay, again, uh, in the end there we had a team of six as the first worker there, uh, and it started to grow. And again, we were up to about four workers. And then the head teacher of the school I was in, he was fairly new, so he didn't know me very well. The, one I, the old one had moved on, who knew me well. This new one came in, asked me to see him in his office, and he'd had a screed of letter, I'm not joking, it was two sides of this. And the accusations against me were horrendous. He didn't believe a word of it. And he didn't even want me to read the letter. I'm not saying that if this comes across wrongly, I apologise. I'm just saying, who are you looking at today, where I've seen blessing in my life, whether it be in the work I've been doing for God, um, or in my own personal life, Soon after, I've experienced attacks. And actually, I could talk about more personal ones, but this isn't the place to do it, for obvious reasons. And I just say this to you, you know, I'm not surprised this happened. I'm doing, saying this early on, simply this, don't worry, I'm not going to go on too long. But actually, if you walked in here this morning, and I think when the worship group leaders prayed this when we were praying, if you, walked in here this morning and you feel under attack can I just encourage you it might be it's because you've got something right in your Christian witness and walk you don't see it as that but maybe you need to because you're worth attacking the enemy doesn't attack Christians who are not worth attacking he attacks those where they fall out would be um, incredible but well, when you look at Stephen, let's, let's come to him. As I said, he doesn't defend himself, but he's very conciliatory. He reaches out to them. He calls them brothers and fathers. He, he refers to us, the plural, not just them. He appeals to them. He says, hear me. And, and one of my other main points is simply this. He started where they were, their knowledge of their history, their culture and their belief. He acknowledged straight away his respect for God because if you look at their accusation, one thing was really they were having a go at him and about what he thought about God. You need to read that whole chapter to get this. But he starts with calling God the God of glory appeared, and later the most high. He shows his respect of God throughout the whole of this. He refers to God in name 16 times in his in his. Uh, well, we'll call it his defence, but it wasn't really his defence. But what was important to the Jews was their history, so he gave them a history lesson. He went Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and he went all the way through, uh, 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 and that would have grabbed their ears because the history, well, still is very important to the Jewish faith. In it, if you unpick this passage, you'll see he's thrown in references from Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, and a few of the minor prophets. He's saying, yes, I know my stuff, but he's also saying, I respect Abraham, I respect Moses. And he wasn't saying out front, I'm defending myself, but he was. He was showing by what he was saying, he had a great respect for their history. He was starting though where they were, so straight away he would have grabbed their ears. Three other things in that passage that maybe you wouldn't pick up straight away. You can divide this up into sections. If you're interested, come and see me afterwards. I can give you the verses because he talks about their belief in the land. He talks about their belief in the law and the belief in the temple. Three things that are very important were then pillars of the Jewish faith. And if we update it, if I just stop with the land bit, we see how important it is still today if you go to the Middle East. And why those things were important to to the Jews was they tied in God's action, what he did to those different things. So he showed his respect for all those things, respect for their leaders, but he tried to point them to the truth behind those aspects of history. He showed how regularly God had intervened, how he called um, abraham how actually he'd spoken to moses he tried to show them that god had stepped in also showing them actually that god was on the move he wasn't just tied down to one piece of land he spoke to abraham as he called him all around the place he spoke to the israelites they moved around. he wasn't tied into a place he wasn't tied into just a building he challenged their concept of god I suppose you could say that what, in the posh words of the theologians, what he was doing here was giving a history of God's grace. And he was basically saying, you've got it wrong. You tie God down to a piece of land. You tie him down to a thing called the law. You tie him down to the temple. And that's why he quoted those words of Isaiah, which said this, heaven is my footstool, and the earth is my footstool heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool what kind of house will you build for me says the Lord or what is the place of my rest Do not, did not my hand make all these things and before that the started that quote with this yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says and he's saying look you are tying God down God can reach us anywhere, he can be anywhere, he can turn up where he wants to. It's not just in a tabernacle or a temple. But he also showed them with their history how people in the past have rebelled and rejected against God. How the patriarchs rejected Joseph, God's person. How the people rejected Moses. God's person. How they rejected God and made that golden calf. He showed them that. But he also showed them, perhaps most importantly, the thing that probably wound them up. He showed them how all of history pointed to Jesus. And he used the words of Moses, their hero. Because Moses said this, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And although he'd started very softly he actually ended up hitting them, in my language, straight between the eyes. He didn't pull any punches. He stopped from saying, our, and he, I don't know whether he pointed or not, but verbally he pointed at them and said, you. Suddenly he was saying, you're accusing me, but act- actually the accusations are on your own head. He called them stiff-necked, What do these things call, what, what do these things mean? Well, I think basically he was saying, you're fixed in your thinking. They were rigid. In reality, their hearts were wrong. They were majoring on an act of circumcision. He was saying, actually, you haven't got the discipline of heart. There's not the obedience there. He talked about their resistance to the Holy Spirit. He talked about their rejection of God's prophets and their rebellion against God's prophets, killing some of them, and their rejection and rebellion, rebellion against Jesus. Bang! Straight between the eyes. And this is what he said, And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. They had missed the point that one day a person had said this, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. They'd missed that Jesus had come to fulfil the law. They'd missed it completely. And that's what he was actually pointing to. That whole passage was leading to the fact that they had rejected the Messiah. No wonder they got angry. And... uh, if you want the reaction to it, you probably know it anyway. You've got to come back next week because I cannot preach on the next bit. That's Richard doing that. But what, as you look at this, and I, I, with this passage, I didn't struggle, but I always like to see how, how we can pull things practically out of it. What are the lessons and challenges for us? Well, first of all, there's encouragement. We may think as we look at Stephen, whoa, what a guy. But what do we know about this chap? Nout. A nobody from nowhere. Look at the list here that is quoted as he goes through the history. Abraham. What was Abraham? You say, Nigel, a man of faith. Yeah, he was. Also a liar. What was Joseph? Oh, well he was strong, he kept true to God. Yeah, I think you can read Joseph and see it's a bit of a show off and conceited. You know, you have a dream, so what do you do? You go and tell your brothers and your mum and dad, actually you're all gonna bow down to me. Very subtle that was. Moses, called the meekest man. Why didn't he go into the promised land? Because he needed anger management. I'm not going to go keep turning over the pages. I'm trusting you know your Bible. But he didn't get in the promised land because he lost his temper, basically. David, wow, great. And you can go to a tomb and you can kiss it and kneel down to it. I've seen someone do it in Israel. And David's revered, but he was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon, well, he was the wisest man out. Very wise, because he decided to have uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Whoa! I mean, what problem he got? Let me think about that very quickly. And we read this of Solomon. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And notice, this is what the Bible says, not Nigel Taylor. And his wives led him astray. Sorry, this is not anti-women. Please don't come and have a go at me. That's said in the Bible, okay? Mind you, have got 700 of them. I think two would be enough to try and lead you astray, but 700. I hope you don't mind my, my, my hearing after. be so careful what you say these days. But you know what I'm saying? There's only one there, and I suppose if I rooted around, I could find something for him. Joshua, who I you know, can't really readily, but someone will come and give me something. But notice that all those above people except Solomon and Stephen are in the Heroes of Faith. Why have I read you that list? Because God used them in very special, great ways. Isn't that surprising? And I felt the challenge, and this is to me as well. You've heard me say before, some of you, that I preach sermons to myself. We need to stop hiding behind the excuses that we are only a lay person. Eddie Jones. If you don't know who Eddie Jones is, coach of the England rugby team. And in an interview with the Times magazine, if you know anything about him, if you don't know who I'm talking about, he's a man from a mixed-race relationship. And he says this, I've always felt, and maybe I've enjoyed it too, that I've been a bit of an outsider because I'm not a stereotypical rugby coach. I wasn't the stereotypical public schoolboy coach of Australia. Then I went to Japan and they wanted a Japanese coach. They don't want a half-breed coach. Part of him is Japanese, but he's not wholly Japanese. That's him saying this, by the way, not me. In England, I'm the first foreign coach. I'm not that well-spoken, well-mannered, well-educated bloke. And in the interview, he goes further down. I can't read it all out because of time, obviously, but this leapt out at me. His parents, he said, taught him this. Don't use your background as an excuse for problems. If people don't like what you are, just accept it. Eugene Peterson in his book, "The Jesus Way: A Conversation in Following Jesus, there are no experts in the company of Jesus. We're all beginners, necessarily followers, because we don't know why, where we're going. On reflection, it's difficult to understand how the term "laity" and the assumption drawn from it continue to marginalize so many Christians from all our participation in following Jesus. After all, didn't Jesus call only lay persons to follow him? Not a priest or a professor among the 12 men and numerous women followers. And Paul, the tent maker? You need to read that book to get the whole context. He's got quite a thing about drawing a line between professional pastors, ministers, whatever you want to call them, um, and laity, as if laity is second rate. And that's what he's hitting out at. I want to go back to what Eddie Jones says. If you're sitting here this morning and saying, well, God can't use me, Nigel, look at my background, look at this, look at that, whatever. Whoa. I personally think we limit God when we say that. We're saying, God, you are just not capable of using me. Sorry, didn't go to the right school. I wasn't born in the right place. I don't speak properly. Look at my looks. I don't know what skills I've got, I can't do anything. Until you see them standing in the church afterwards and they talk for England. But anyway, they can't, they're not good at anything. And I believe, you know, we're stopping, I personally feel, our own personal growth and the growth of the church when we say all I need to do at Bretton Baptist is turn up, sit on the chair, I'm too old, I've, my, I've had my day, they don't need me. I can't this, I can't that. I personally feel we are affecting the growth of Breton Baptist Church. I think it would be frightening if we're actually looking for when Brian comes that he's going to put it all right. If we really believe that, give him five years, he'll have a nervous breakdown. And I'm not joking there. I have friends in all the denominations who have been down that path. Because of the nature of work, I worked across denominations. I could back this up with facts so it breaks my heart that we expect the people at the front, including our leadership team, to do it all. They, too, will have nervous breakdowns if we believe that. We will never hear about it because they'll just slide off the scene. We'll hear about it 10 years later, perhaps. But maybe we added to it because we came to Breton and said, I've had my day, I can't this, I can't that, and we're saying, God can't use me. In January, Mary and I are going back to our old church and a guy's going to be uh, inducted there to be the associate minister. And when that guy wanted to go to Bible college, there were people in the church, and I can't say too much for obvious reason. I'm talking about friends actually, who said the guy wouldn't actually cope with it. When he got to Bible college, his nickname became Books. Vanny was dyslexic as well, and actually he's already um, headed up a mission work with his wife in, in Mexico for several years. Uh, and he's also at the moment been a chaplain for the railway mission, and now he's going to be a minister at Upton Vale Baptist Church. This guy's beginnings were very humble, but God has put him in there. Whoa, because he's had the faith to trust God. Does he think he's extra special? No. I suppose i better wrap things up. I'll just briefly just share this. I can do this very quickly. Adding on from that, and I think personally I felt this was a message for us all, for me as well, that, that actually that... Um, notice where Stephen started with his so-called defence. He started where they were. If you watch Celebrity Mastermind recently, someone was asked a question, what did God make out of Adam? And the person didn't know the answer. And they're a very clever person. They didn't know it was Eve. Later on in the the questions with someone else, another biblical question came up. that was very basic. I can't remember exactly. They didn't know that answer either. Where are the people outside of this church? Where are they at? I'm gonna go at myself here. Would they have understood much of what I've shared this morning? And I'm glad some of you are shaking your head. Because uh, actually their, their knowledge of the Bible in some cases is zero and we've forgotten that. That's without getting into the fact that we have people from other nations, from other faiths coming into this church. I as a Christian individually, when I mix with people on the allotment or near my pond or on the front path or on my bench outside my front door or in the mobile library or on my exercise class, do I start talking to them when we get to Christian or spiritual things as if they know something? No, I do not. I start from where they're at, as I've got to know them. In the case of my exercise class for four years, and actually I start where they're at. At the moment, God care for what I say, one person's go through through bereavement and I've had quite a nice little chat with them. It started from where they're at. And we must remember, again, we're looking at Brian, we're invited Brian to come, but I hope, I really believe this is all my I, I hope with all my heart that actually he will encourage us to start where those people are at, out there so we're relevant. And the last challenge has just dropped in my head and it's a bit dangerous when that happens. What was your reaction when Brian said at the church meeting, when someone said, what did you used to do? I was a milkman. What was your reaction? I hope with all my heart, it is praise God for what he's done through this man who at 28 was converted from a milkman and he's going to be our pastor. Isn't that exciting? Because if someone can relate to people out there I think a milkman can. Brief prayer. <coughs> Father we thank you. We've, we've had these few moments together this morning, this this hour. In my book Lord it goes so quickly. We thank you Lord as I think Ray prayed earlier that we've had the opportunity to come into this church and sing songs of worship and praise to you. Lord, I take that privilege so much for granted. Please forgive me. Lord, I pray that all of us won't just look at this passage about Stephen in an academic way but actually go home and say is there something that god wants me to do or be in my community or in my church help us lord not to come up with the lame excuses that we're not good at this not good at that lord if we feel you're nudging us in a certain direction whatever our age help us lord god to follow that up and we pray lord for our church that, Lord, long-term, we will continue to be relevant and reaching out to where the people are at in this community. Lord, we don't just want to be the exclusive club that meets in a very nice building and a nice site. Lord, we want to be used by your Holy Spirit to actually bring Jesus to these people. Lord, that was the focus of Stephen's speech. Help that to be our focus as well in our own personal lives and in the life of this church because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I'm back to worship.